Hey Gary, thank you so much for your very thoughtful answer. And just uh, following up on your thoughts around uh, uh, switching the question to when will philosophy catch up with physics, um, uh, I think you're probably right that there is a problem in uh, the humanities that uh, it's very difficult to measure um, anything. There's no metrics on uh, philosophical thought or ideas and uh, that can be a problem when um, disciplines which have good measurement systems bump up against those that don't. Uh, despite both enriching the human uh, mind and uh, our understanding of uh, the observable universe. So, uh, yes, food for thought. I'm going to continue to think on what you've said and uh, I might come back in the future. But thanks again for the um, thorough and uh, really thought-provoking uh, response. It's Dr. New Poetry Corner, Episode 4. So we are returning to the Highwayman. I left you in a bit of a bind yesterday because you were just at the point where she had, uh, Bess had touched the trigger touched one finger on the trigger and then I left it there. So you get the second half of The Highwayman uh, tonight and I will uh, have a little outro after it. So uh, asking questions and uh, seeking feedback. But until then, The Highwayman. Poetry Corner tonight is going to be about one of my favourite poems of all time. And it's by Alfred Noyes. And Alfred Noyes um, uh, first published it in 1906. And it's a narrative poem. Um, uh, Alfred Noyes um, uh, was born in 1880 and died in 1958 and um, he was um, quite an accomplished and prolific author uh, and uh, he wrote books such as uh, the epic verse trilogy The Torchbearers and uh, really um, uh, took narrative poetry um, to, I guess, a completely new place. Now, the version of uh, The Highwayman that I'm reading from uh, has amazing um, illustrations by Charles Keeping. And it actually won uh, the Kate Greenaway Medal in Australia, which is a pretty prestigious literary award. So I'm going to uh, read as much as I possibly can and hopefully... Um, finish this tonight for you. The wind was a torrent of darkness among the gusty trees. The moon was a ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas. The road was a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor. 
and the highwayman came riding, riding, riding. The highwayman came riding up to the old inn door. He'd a French cocked hat on his forehead, a bunch of lace at his chin, a coat of the claret velvet, and breeches of brown doe skin. They fitted with never a wrinkle, his boots were up to the thigh, and he rode with a jewelled twinkle, his pistol butts a twinkle, his rapier hilt a twinkle, under the jewelled sky. Over the cobbles he clattered, and clashed in the dark inn-yard. He tapped with his whip on the shutters, but all was locked and barred. He whistled a tune to the window, and who should be waiting there? But the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Bess, the landlord's daughter, plaiting a dark red love-knot into her long black hair. And dark in the dark old inn-yard a stable wicket creaked, where Tim the ostler listened, his face was white and peaked. His eyes were hollows of madness, his hair like mouldy hay, but he loved the landlord's daughter, the landlord's red-lipped daughter. Dumb as a dog he listened, and he heard the robber say, one kiss, my bonny sweetheart, I'm after a prize to-night, but I shall be back with the yellow gold before the morning light. Yet, if they press me sharply and harry me through the day, then look for me by moonlight. Watch for me by moonlight. I'll come to thee by moonlight, though hell should bar the way. He rose upright in the stirrups, he scarce could reach her hand, but she loosened her hair either casement, his face burnt like a brand. As the black cascade of perfume came tumbling over his breast, and he kissed its waves in the moonlight, oh, sweet black waves in the moonlight, then he tugged at his rein in the moonlight, and galloped away to the west. He did not come in the dawning. He did not come at noon. And out of the tawny sunset, before the rise of the moon, when the road was a gypsy's ribbon, looping the purple moor, a red-coat troop came marching, marching, marching. King George's men came marching up to the old inn door. They said not a word to the landlord, they drank his ale instead. But they gagged his daughter, and bound her to the foot of her narrow bed. Two of them knelt at her casement, with muskets at their side. There was death at every window, and hell at one dark window, for Bess could see, through her casement, the road that he would ride. They had tied her up to attention, with many a sniggering jest. They had bound a musket beside her, with the muzzle beneath her breast. Now keep good watch, and they kissed her, she heard the dead man say, look for me by moonlight, watch for me by moonlight, 
I'll come to thee by moonlight, though hell should bar the way. She twisted her hands behind her, but all the knots held good. She writhed her hands till her fingers were wet with sweat or blood. They stretched and strained in the darkness, and the hours crawled by like years, till now, on the stroke of midnight, cold on the stroke of midnight, the tip of one finger touched it. The trigger at least was hers. The tip of one finger touched it. She strove no more for the rest. Up she stood, up to attention, with the muzzle beneath her breast. She would not risk their hearing. She would not strive again, for the road lay bare in the moonlight. Blank and bare in the moonlight, and the blood of her veins in the moonlight throbbed to her love's refrain. Tlot, 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 tlot. Had they heard it? The horse's hooves ringing clear. Tlot, 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 tlot. In the distance, were they deaf that they did not hear? Down the ribbon of moonlight, over the brow of the hill, the highwayman came riding, riding, riding. The redcoats looked to their priming. She stood up. Straight and still. Tlot, tlot in the frosty silence. Tlot, tlot in the echoing night. Nearer he came and nearer. Her face was like a light. Her eyes grew wide for a moment. She drew one last deep breath. Then her finger moved in the moonlight. Her musket shattered in the moonlight. Shattered her breast in the moonlight and warned him with her death. He turned, he spurred to the west. He did not know who stood bowed with a head o'er the musket, drenched with her own red blood. Not till the dawn he heard it, and his face grew grey to hear how Bess, the landlord's daughter, the landlord's black-eyed daughter had watched for her love in the moonlight and died in the darkness there. Back he spurred like a madman, shouting a curse to the sky, with the white road smoking behind him and his rapier brandished high. Blood-red were his spurs by the golden noon, wine-red was his velvet coat when they shot him down on the highway down like a dog on the highway, and he lay in his blood on the highway with the bunch of lace at his throat. And still of a winter's night, they say, when the wind is in the trees, when the moon is a ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas, when the road is a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor, a highwayman comes riding, riding, riding. A highwayman comes riding up to the old inn door. Over the cobbles he clatters and clangs in the dark inn yard, and he taps with his whip on the shutters. 
but all is locked and barred. He whistles a tune to the window, and who should be waiting there but the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Bess, the landlord's daughter, plaiting a dark red love knot into her long black hair. So that was The Highwayman. I really hope you enjoyed it. It's definitely one of my favourite poems of all time. I just love the imagery. And you can see things like Ghostly Galleon has actually entered um, common the common lexicon um, of expressions. Um, and uh, there's quite a few of those uh, Im imageries that are in the poem. Um, that have uh, uh, been kept to modern usage. Um, a few years ago, I think they did a, um, a survey of uh, favourite poetry in England, and uh, that poem was, I think, number 15 from memory. So uh, please, I would love to hear what you think of The Highwayman, if it's for you, if it's not for you, um, and if it might encourage you to want to write your own uh, narrative poetry. Hello, my lovelies. I am starting a new segment called Poetry Corner. In Poetry Corner, I am going to be reading a number of my favourite poets and also some of my own work. And I invite you, all of you my lovelies, to put your own work on here as well. So, Poetry Corner. Welcome to the first episode of Poetry Corner and we're going to start small. I mean really small. I mean haiku small. Um, and we're going to start off with one of my favourite haiku authors. In fact, it was the first um, haiku poet that I ever came across. And his name is Basho. And the readings I'm going to do today are taken from On Love and Bali. And I'm just going to start out with a little bit about haiku. Haiku are 17 syllables, usually in three lines, usually 575. And um, Basho was born uh, Matsuo Kinsaku uh, in 1644. He died in 1694 and he was considered the first great haiku poet. Um, this came after 200 years of the Dark Age in Japanese literature between 1425 to 1625. And Basho, um, uh, his work obviously was originally in Japanese, but it's been translated into um, uh, English. <clears throat> I won't attempt to do anything in Japanese. And... Uh, Haiku itself is um, really about taking a single moment uh, in uh, often a very commonplace moment and uh, distilling it, just crystallizing it down into one singular, um, tiny, infinitesimal um, uh, stone dropped into a still pool of water. And it's quite a meditative um, exercise to then feel and smell and taste and hear and, and imagine um, what that moment was like. 
and um, uh, because it's a distillation it can be quite powerful there's no verbal trickery in it um, it um, certainly takes a, the full value of every single word uh, and of course, it being a translation, it then has a layer from those uh, poets or translators that then took Basho's work and uh, moved it into um, the in a space that English inhabits. Uh, and that, of course, uh, would have an effect on um, how we see his work today. So I'm going to dive into the still pool of Basho's work. And often you'll see um, Basho's work um, uh, grouped into um, themes. So the first theme is about uh, spring. Spring air woven moon and plum scent. Early autumn, rice field, ocean, one green. Unknown spring, plum blossom behind the mirror. The next uh, series of three poems by Basho is uh, explicit in their Zen intention. Skylark on moor, sweet song of non-attachment. Monks, morning glories, how many under the pine tree law? Four temple gates under one moon. Four sex. Yellow rose petals, thunder, a waterfall. Butterfly, wings curve into white poppy. Wake, butterfly, it's late. We've miles to go together. Moon daubed bush clover. Shh, in the next room, snoring prostitutes. Though bush clover always stirs, not one dewdrop falls. Beyond waves, reaching far, the cuckoo's song. Girl cats so thin on love and barley. It's Dr. New. Poetry, Dr. New, Poetry Corner. Hello again, everyone. It's my second segment of Poetry Corner. And today we're, we're continuing with haiku, the very small poems from Japan. And uh, just to recap on what haiku are, they, the form takes a 17-syllable in total uh, uh, with five uh, syllables on the first line, seven on the second, and five on the last, and crystallizes one concept or one tiny moment of the day into uh, its um, form and looks at particularly everyday 
or otherwise unnoticed moments of your life. So I'm going to start with um, some of my early work. I've got four haiku for you. And I'm going to end with something I have written specifically for uh, my last couple of days on Anchor. And uh, these are um, uh, uh, my four favourite haiku that I wrote around that, that time. And uh, that time is, well, um, promise me, promise me you won't share this, but, but it was 20 years ago. Uh, I've, of course, written um, a lot of haiku since then, but these are my favourites. So here goes. Feathers buzz gently, cast off on brown forest floors, the children's delight. Soft moonsong fills nights with long whispering shadows and sweet jasmine breeze. Salt bitter to taste, hard grains of sand in my mouth, splitting lips with pain. Blood congeals slowly upon lips savouring life in the sweet darkness. Murmurings and shouts, words and singing anchor to old and new friendships. So now I'm just going to do a sampling of other famous uh, haiku poets. And I'm going to do it chronologically so that you can uh, get a feel for how they change over the centuries. So we had Basho yesterday and he was uh, really the first famous or first doing this form that became famous. And uh, then I am going to go uh, all the way to the 20th century. So just a few of each and a little bit about each of them. So these are from uh, Yossa Busan, and he was um, around between 1716 and 1784. And as a, a leading poet of um, the 18th century, uh, he's really one of the great names in haiku. And... Uh, he also was famous for his art. Lengthening days, accumulating and recalling the days of distant past. Slowly passing days, with an echo heard here in a corner of Kyoto. Into a nobleman, a fox has charged himself early evening of spring. Blow of an axe, pine scent, the winter woods. This is my favourite of his. Calligraphy of geese against the sky, the moon seals it. Next poet is Masaoka Shiki. 
and he was around between 1867 to 1902 and he was also a literary critic and a journalist uh, at, uh, during his life um, and he later changed his name to Nobaru and um, I'm just going to do a couple of his I'm not as much of a fan of his work and here we go. A cock crows at the foot of the small Mount Fuji, peach blossoms. A hollyhock shot up to meet the summer solstice. Autumn wind met returning alive you and me. The next poet is Kobayashi Issa and Issa actually means a cup of tea so I quite like um, Issa's work and it is indeed my uh, cup of tea oh and he lived between 1763 and 1826 on a branch floating down river, a cricket singing. Goes out, comes back, the love life of a cat. Under the evening moon, the snail is stripped to the waist. The next haiku poet is uh, Natsumi, and I know I'm going to say this wrong, but uh, Soseiki. <clears throat> And he was uh, born February 9th, 1867, and died December 9th, 1916. So we're into the 20th century. And uh, he was actually best known as a novelist in Japan. And uh, he was also an accomplished haiku artist, haiku poet. And I'm going to share a couple with you. Over the wintry forest, winds howl in rage with no leaves to blow. Watch birth and death, the lotus has already opened its flower. On New Year's Day, I long to meet my parents as they were before my birth. The final uh, haiku poet for today is Takahama Kaioshi and he lived 1874 to 1959 so we're you know into the mid 20th century and uh, he uh, was quite experimental um, with various variants of haiku poetry so um, he was a bit of a radical haikuist so I'm just going to read a couple of his. A gold bug I hurl into the darkness and feel the depth of night. He says a word and I say a word. Autumn is deepening. A butterfly's noises while eating something. Such quietness. 
a dead chrysanthemum, and yet isn't there still something remaining in it? Poetry Corner is over. It's Dr. New. Poetry, Dr. New. Poetry from Australia. Dr. New. Poetry Corner.